Welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast. Today we have Joanna Inch joining us uh, from Hat Media and also just recently started out the SaaS Accelerator with um, Stuart Marshall who we interviewed, I think it was episode seven off the top of my mind, I believe it was. Uh, Joanna, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Joanna, um, we're here to talk a little bit about marketing and especially within um, that SaaS B2B play. play. Um, Tell us a bit about your background, how you originally got involved in marketing and um, how Hat Media came about. Yep, happy to. Um, So I originally started out in, oh God, I'm going to show my age here, but over 15 (laughs) years ago in in TV marketing and radio and cinema. And very quickly I caught on to digital and it it just became a passion of mine. Um, I kind of saw the future of it. It was super exciting dealing with all these innovations and tools that kept coming out. Um, So I launched my own company called Hat Media over 10 years ago. Uh, and very much we specialized in uh, Google AdWords, SEO, we built websites, and we focused on messages as well for clients. Now, keep in mind, this was back in the day before Facebook wasn't even alive, so there was so little out at that time Mm -hmm. to do with marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, And since then, it's so much has come out. It's just been so exciting. We've caught on to Facebook, you have LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. uh, you have YouTube, you have um, you have marketing automation platforms such as HubSpot, mm-hmm. Marketo, mm-hmm. Eloqua, Salesforce, Pardot. Um, there's just so much out right now and, and so much SaaS as well around things like building marketing funnels, um, yes. you know, pay-per-click advertising, programmatic. It's just, it's just really come a long way. So um, what we did uh, probably about in 2016 or 17, we actually niche to just be helping technology and software clients. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the clients that we onboarded at that time was Lenovo. So we did quite a lot of content marketing for them uh, with really good results. And Mm -hmm. it's just helped us um, learn a lot of findings uh, and to implement for all of our future SaaS clients as well. So there's definitely some unique things in terms of digital marketing for the SaaS and tech space that um, one can implement to have an effective campaign. Okay. So in terms of Lenovo, so what did you do with them? Was it around um, hardware, software space? What was it in particular for Lenovo, generally a hardware yeah. provider? Yeah, no, definitely the hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Definitely hardware. And it was in the mm-hmm. B2B space. So okay. definitely mm-hmm. selling across the APAC region, um, yes. trying to get mm-hmm. more businesses mm-hmm. to uh, buy yeah, laptops, the Lenovo laptops. laptops. Yep. Um, so. What we did was we... Mm-hmm. At the time, this was actually quite controversial and it was really hard to kind of get it across, but it's it's just had such good results that you're kind mm-hmm. of seeing a lot of brands picking this up now and doing it. Um, what we did was we built a brand agnostic website and it was called techrevolution.asia. And if okay. you go there now, you'll see over yeah. 400 articles uh, uh-huh. just around you know digital transformation, AI, yes. machine learning, all those mm-hmm. types of topics. Um, mm-hmm. We also got influencers to write for us for that particular website, um, the likes of uh, Bernard Ma and Ray uh-huh. Wang, uh, also yeah. Brian Solis, who's uh, you know really influential in the digital transformation space. Mm-hmm. He's got a really good following on Twitter. So um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, we we did that for Lenovo a little bit for Intel as well. And yes. what we did was we actually got um, the sales teams that were talking to the customers to be the authors of these articles. And what ended up happening is that the conversations just became so much easier because mm-hmm. all these potential customers had read all this content from them. Um, and they just they pictured them as thought leaders in the space. And one statistic that we know about thought leadership is that um, you know sixty percent more likely to uh, employ a thought leader in the space than not. So you know, content That's marketing really does work. Yeah. Interesting stat. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Huge, 60%. Yeah, that's massive. So in terms of content marketing, is that the angle that you generally push people towards to think about, to start understanding and educating their customers? Absolutely, because when you think about it, in this day and age, you know, people will do their own research. Um, mm-hmm. Gone are the days where you'd go to the shop like JB Hi-Fi and start asking, you know, which mm-hmm. laptop should I buy? What are the features mm-hmm. on that one? More than likely, you already have that data. You already know, and you're really just going to the store to buy it. Um, so when you're doing your research online, you stumble upon a lot of blogging or thought leadership articles. Um, mm-hmm. So really, that's where you need to focus on to capture your customers. You need to focus on adding value to them and giving them uh, information that they're seeking, solving their yes. pain points or their questions, um, and just subtly having your brand in the background. Mm-hmm. It's um, it. They do remember it. They do remember who you know, help them with their pain points and their questions. So they will end up buying from that brand just because of the value that was added. Yeah, no, very good. So this was in 2007 and you started getting more into tech space. So, um, and that's evolved obviously into um, helping some SaaS businesses as well. So um, what are some of the challenges that you find with um, technology businesses that are looking to sell products online? And it's, it's a, there's a sea of content out there um, and people trying to um, just push their own product out there. What are you finding some of the limitations are within these businesses and um, how can marketing assist them? Yeah, there's actually quite a few when it comes to SaaS. I mean, if you think mm-hmm. about not just the startups, but also the established yes. companies, um, uh-huh. what I find is a lot of them have a problem with the niche. They more mm-hmm. than likely don't have a niche and they, they're trying to be too many things to too many people, which means mm. the message is just not really getting out there to the right people or okay. it doesn't resonate with their target audience. And with startups, it's very common that they do this because when they first start out, you know, obviously they'll take any clients that they can or any customers mm-hmm. that they can. So, yep. um, but then also when they evolve, they it's very likely that as a brand they've changed um, mm-hmm. just because of their journeys. And what they really need to do is go back and uh, redo all those, ask all those questions again on who is our target market, who is our niche. Um, and therefore, how do we need to amend our messaging on our website, uh, on all our advertising assets and all of our content marketing so we can resonate better with that target audience and then really just create a buyer journey around that audience and those messagings. And that's probably the best way to scale because um, what I find is if you don't have your niche right, uh, you more than likely hit a plateau and you're not really scaling or getting any more customers Um, just because you are dividing your focus, so to speak, when you're trying Mm -hmm. to target too many different audience types. So that's one um, issue I've noticed with SaaS. 
Okay. And then from a marketing message, clearly it's more, more watered down if you're not niching. So I imagine that's one of the challenges that people find when they're pushing out marketing. That's very generic in that case if it's not niched. You're probably not hitting anyone's specific pain points. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Very generic. You mentioned something there a little bit around um, the buyer journey. Can you describe what you mean Mm -hmm. by buyer's journey? Um, Is that the point where they begin the education journey of what they are looking for and then right through to purchase? What do you mean by buyer's journey? Um, What I mean is the journey that they take in order to purchase your product, but then also Mm -hmm. post-journey is once they become a customer, which is where a lot of companies forget about them. So if you think of the buyer journey at the awareness phase, which is the first step, and that's really Mm -hmm. when they become aware of your messages and your content and your brand, um, what does the journey look like there? What touch points have they used to find you? What is the messaging that they're reading? What pain points are you solving for them at that awareness stage? And then obviously um, you then end up picking up something like an email address or contact details from them. So you Mm -hmm. end up um, putting them in your marketing funnel and just taking them further down the journey or you're likely picked up their cookie and you're remarketing to them. Um, And that's really when they enter the consideration phase of the journey. So they're already aware of the brand. They're aware of the pain points that have been presented to them. The next step really is just deciding that maybe you're the person to solve them instead of a competitor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at the decision phase, really, of the journey, uh, and with B2B, that journey takes anywhere between 6 to 24 months. And it's really (laughs) just ongoing content and value that you have to provide to your customers. Uh, You have to make sure that at every touch point, you're answering their questions um, and you're putting your brand, you know, in a high spot in their minds as well. Mm. And then once they've become a customer, I, I think it's really important, especially for SaaS companies, to just provide ongoing support. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them don't, and a, as you know, a lot of customers do have issues with software. And uh, one thing that's really frustrating is if they can't get, um, you know, true to the call center or someone or any kind of documentation where they can work out how to use the software. So they end up churning. Um, so what we find with a lot of SaaS companies that are not very focused on their customers is they have a really high churn rate um, because they likely adopt the software, but then they're not really sure how to use those features. Um, Mm -hmm. They're having, you know, glitches or issues with the software that are not getting fixed. So they end up just not using it and then not renewing. And that's um, the last thing you want in business. Yeah, exactly. Is that the marketing needs to sort of not continue for existing customers, not just the acquisition state? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can still continue to uh, nurture your existing customers. They actually become your biggest advocates. They spread the word. Um, You also, it really helps because you end up building customer success stories around those specific customers. And if you have focused on uh, niching and you've got you've nailed your niche, then what you have is um, a whole bunch of customer success stories that you can then repurpose to other people in the same industries or with the same pain points and job titles. So it's much easier to grow and onboard customers when you have uh, that type of content at your fingertips. Mm. You know, in terms of yeah, in terms of our thinking, just taking it back to 
our understanding um, from a content marketing perspective is, yeah, the more you can share and help um, that buyer as they're going through that journey, the better. And if you know, if just I think taking that buyer out of the out of the conversation for me anyway, it's more about um, how are we helping um, serve uh, people in the marketplace to get better results. Um, if you can start from that point of view, I find that quite um, an interesting place to to look at it and not consider them as you're not selling anything. You're just trying to educate. And I think people step into that frame of reference. It can be a little bit easier to build content then. How do you find um, when working with customers, um, educating them on the fact of, all right, this is what the market needs, wants, and desires, but they're still happy just to go about um, putting their products and this sell, sell, sell to customers. What are some of the challenges that you might find in this space? Um, yeah, I definitely find that, um, you know, a lot of, clients who are kind of not on board with content marketing as much yes. feel that, um, you know, they need to be pushing their product, but not mm -hmm. so much the product. They also feel like the message on the website needs to talk about the features of the software as an example um, okay. and just solve those uh, external problems, so to speak. And what we find in marketing is, um, you know, just convincing them to focus on in solving internal problems for their customers, which is really the type of problems that keep them up at night. Um, okay. So it's mm -hmm. it's not really the software or the features that are going to sell the product. It's how you're going to solve their pain points and Really just doing some research around discovering what their pain points are can be challenging with some some clients, mm -hmm. um, which is why, you know, we tend to do a whole buyer persona workshop where we ask really difficult questions. It's actually quite a painful process, but what comes out at the end is just yeah. really good info around, well, who are yep. your customers and, mm -hmm. you know, what problems do you need to solve? And therefore, this is how you need to amend your message. You need to focus on, you know, your internal problems. Just to give you an example of what I mean by external and internal problems, um, yes. right now, for example, uh, an external problem could be, well, I need a car. I need mm -hmm. to buy a car. That's the external problem. I don't have a car. But the internal problem is, well, I need mobility. I need to be able to get around. I need that freedom of, you know, traveling. Um, there's one really good website that I keep mentioning as well on my marketing automation um, events and webinars. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're, they're basically a small business accounting firm. And okay. so the external problems that they would be solving is, um, you know, we help you with your cash flow and we help you save on tax, but that's not mm -hmm. really what help uh, keeps their target audience up at night and their target audience is small business owners. But if you look at their website, the message on their uh, website is really good. It focuses on internal problems because it's all about we help you make more time for your family and we help you uh, focus on your business. And it's really um those internal problems that allow them to be so successful because it really does resonate with their target audience, if that makes sense. It does. So from a from a content perspective, um, and if you're pushing out content, would you generally want to focus more on the internal problems that you're attempting to solve? Or is it more the technical side? What, what does a SaaS business or a technical business out there do um, to produce content? What should be their, their drivers? Luckily, there's a lot of tools out there um, mm -hmm. that help 
SaaS businesses determine, you know, what their customers are actually searching on Google, as an example. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's websites like Answer the Public, for example, that can tell mm-hmm. you just around your keyword or your, your key product, what are people actually asking? What are they searching for in Google? Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see quite a lot of searches coming out of that. So that's really a good platform to go and see what kind of content should I be writing that people are already searching for. Um, and therefore, it would help my business to be optimized for these types of searches. Um, and what you'll notice is a lot of the searches in this day and age are conversational searches. They're not the uh-huh. way we used to search 10 years ago, which was just, you know, one, two or maybe three keywords. Um, mm-hmm. Now we're very much searching the way we speak to our friends. And a lot of us are, are using voice search as well. And that's growing year on year on. So it, I think not just SaaS companies, but any companies, when they're writing content, they need to keep in mind um, that the topics or the titles they need to write about, one, they solve a pain point, but two, um, they're conversational. And, you know, it's very much how do I or how can I instead of just your main keywords. Yeah, so it's not very question-driven and answer-oriented yeah, when you Google search results as well. Yes, yeah, so the answer to the public Absolutely. Um, and is um, quite a, a good tool in terms of, yeah, I think if anyone wants to check it out, answer the public, we've used it a little bit in our, um, our content strategies. But yeah, you put in a keyword and it might be um, great, uh, great uh, I don't know, it might be books and something about books. And then people might say, what's some, and the question might people will ask, what's a great book to read in this area? Um, and you'll get certain questions and you can just write a blog article and answer those questions that people are looking to solve and problems are going to solve. And that's um, really cool piece of technology. That and Yeah, the problem comes down to asking, finding the right question or the right keywords. Correct. So it probably comes down yeah. to being that niche joiner you mentioned earlier. And if you're not understanding that, then you won't be able to ask the right mm-hmm. question or formulate the right content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on. So now we're, you're obviously an avid fan of um, content marketing and content strategy. Um, mm-hmm. You've got a niche. Um, we help um, assess. You mentioned something about personas um, and buyer personas. Um, what are some of yeah. the, the those tough questions you might ask a client around how to actually understand their buyer personas, what their pain points are? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, like I said, it's a very painful process and it goes for hours, sometimes half a day of just questions, nice. relentless yeah. questions on who your buyer personas actually are. We ask yeah. not just um, job-related questions like what is their job role and, uh-huh. you know, what company do they work for and what's their career experience, um, but also what is their day-to-day and what challenges do they face in their work environment and who do they report to? Um, as well as psychological questions. So just as an example, what do they do outside of work? What social media platforms do they visit? How do they consume content? Um, you know, is it ebooks? Is it webinars? Is it podcasts that they prefer? Um, also, you know, are they family people? Are they young? Are they older? Um, kind of demographic as well really plays a role in figuring out who this avatar is and then therefore how do we how do we communicate to them now do you get during during that journey would um, you find that some customers just 
don't know how to answer half those questions. Therefore, market research is required. And if so, how do you recommend clients go about actioning some market research? Yeah, uh, definitely that has been my experience. A lot of those questions can go unanswered. Yes. I uh -huh. found that um, something that works really effectively is instead of just speaking to, say, you know, the marketing person in the organization or even just the founder, um, it really helps to speak to the entire team. So the salespeople, um, the customer service people, people that speak to these customers on an everyday basis, mm -hmm. they tend to be able to answer some of these questions a lot better than what the owner or the marketer can. Okay. Yeah, because they're really in and talking to customers and understand them probably better than uh, yeah, the marketer that's sitting in the office trying to put a, uh, a pitch together or some content together. So that makes sense. So that's all well and good if I'm uh, in a business operating selling. What about if I'm starting out? Where where do you recommend I start? I've just, uh, maybe I'm a tech, um, I'm building a tech product, trying to solve a problem. Um, where would you recommend someone like that starting out? Maybe they've got one or two customers and they're just looking to grow their business. What should I do? Yep. So definitely for the startups, it's not as an extensive process as it is for the enterprise companies. Mm -hmm. um, yes. I think with the startups, it's really more focused on the pain points. So it doesn't drill down into so much, you know, psychological or no. career. It's more, okay, so who in this space or, you know, is there an industry that we need to focus on? And also what is the main problems that you're solving? Um, and what we find with startups generally, uh, there tends to be more focus around um, the job role that they do, but also who is the decision maker as well. And do these people influence the decision maker? Okay. Mm -hmm. And once you've got those questions answered, um, it's really, it's a good starting phase. You know, you can definitely mm. start. And on a platform like LinkedIn, um, yes. you can certainly target by, by industry, by job role, um, by keyword. Um, also, with a, depending on um, the startup, the SaaS startup, it might be a good idea to target people with particular skill sets. Um, just to give you an example of Hat Media, for example, when, when we look at leads on um, LinkedIn, uh, we make sure that they, you know, have the HubSpot certificate as an example. So you could be looking at skills to do with HubSpot. Oh, interesting. So just looking at skills, just not just little things titles. like that. Yeah, and that's a good tip because yeah. job titles can be a bit all over the place these days. There's all different names for everything and anything. Um, and skill sets could be another direction. Sometimes they're self-given. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think a lot of, for a lot of startups, they are. We just work with a, a wizard. <laughs> a wizard, yeah. What was he? A, um, a uh, creative wizard. wizard or yeah, something what, like that. Yeah, so good luck um, searching that through LinkedIn. So yeah, I think uh, skill set was an interesting point there. So in, term, in terms of, you've mentioned a little bit about automation and marketing funnels, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, do you, do you think the business should own their, their own blog, um, video content? Should it be a cross-pollination of content or is there a particular one they find that works um, or is it just industry-based or industry-specific as well? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. You definitely need to um, have a variety of different types of content. So Mm -hmm. because when you think about it, you know, different people like to consume content differently. A lot of people like to listen to podcasts just Mm -hmm. while they're on the bus on the way to work. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people love to watch webinars just on in their lunch break. Um, Mm -hmm. But then you have the readers who would love to download the ebook or read it on their Kindle late at night. So um, it's really you. I recommend having all different types of formats, um, but what people need to realize, it's really easy to repurpose one bit of content into all three of those categories. So if we're doing a podcast right now, as an example, you could easily transcribe that and turn it into a blog or multiple Mm -hmm. blogs. Um, So it's really just about finding the core topic that you want to talk about and then repurposing it into different formats. I think Anthony's stumbled across this. So he's written um, a few, he's starting to write some more blog articles, Anthony, and then he's creating video snippets from the blog articles um, and repurposing yeah. those and also then creating PDF sort of imagery, flick throughs and going on LinkedIn. And yeah, there's so much you can do once you've actually created and a basic backwards, content. Making a large article, breaking that into little social posts, creating mm-hmm. video snippets, like I said, with the transcripts there. And then yes, it, turning yeah. that into live stream content. Mm-hmm. That's that's another option. There's so much options out there once you have a, a block of content that you're actually working with. So for us, just to give you an indication of what we do, um, so we, we build the podcast and we create little video snippets and um, out of those, post them individually. So that's another form of content. Transcriptions is another way. We're just posting transcriptions at the moment, but yeah, turning into blog articles could be another means of what we could do uh, within uh, the Devery podcast itself. So um, there's always different ways and different means of using content because it's all knowledge. It's just how you share it. Absolutely. And I found, um, I mean, lately I've been using the app called Otter. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's um, it's just absolutely brilliant at transcribing everything. Mm-hmm. So every Otter. time okay. I go to a meeting, yeah. Um, also find it, it, it's a lot better at taking notes when in a meeting, in, um, uh-huh. just turn it on and just focus on having that conversation instead of trying to write notes down. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of software out there that can really help you with, um, you know, note taking and transcribing and repurposing content. So, um, yeah, just definitely do a search for Otter and there's many, many others as well. Yeah, no, that's a good tip. So, um, in terms of, let's get a little bit into some more of the technical side of things. So if, um, mm-hmm. I'm building content, um, and, I'm looking to build just say a, a, a list of people that are interested in what I'm doing. What are some of the recommendations mm-hmm. that you might look at to engage your particular target audience into maybe downloading a piece of content, providing some so an email for you? What would you recommend doing in terms of a, a funnel? Yeah. Um, I'll give you my experience and what I personally do for myself. So I would go on something like LinkedIn Sales Navigator Mm -hmm. and I would put together, I would automate a lead list to be put together and LinkedIn's really good at sending you those on a weekly basis. Like these are the new leads um, that fit all of the descriptions that you've just mentioned. So once you know who your buyer persona is, you can easily go into that platform and put those in. Once you've got those, um, you know, I would connect with them on LinkedIn with just a nice personal message. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And then the next step really is uh, just to invite them along to a webinar that I might be hosting or, you know, a podcast or just a bit of content that I know will definitely add value to their day or, the you know, the work challenges that they're having. Okay. Um, having said that, I've recently discovered a software that can automate that entire process, which is called Octopus CRM. Um, okay. yep. So you can literally take your LinkedIn sales navigator list, put it in a platform yes. like uh, Octopus CRM and build mm -hmm. a funnel of not just um, not just email marketing. We, we already know tools that do email marketing and automate mm -hmm. that. Um, mm -hmm. However, this is actually automating your LinkedIn in-mails that you're sending to people. And you can also automate, um, you know, actions on LinkedIn, like endorsing them for specific skills as well. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I love using LinkedIn in mails as a platform and not just emails is because if you look at the average open rate of an email, it sits somewhere between 20 to 25%. Whereas if you okay. compare that to a LinkedIn in mail, it's actually at 60%. Um, so a lot more people are opening up their social media platform messages, you know, as opposed to their emails. Um, something about seeing that red dot wow. notification that they just can't bear to live with. So they'll always open up their social platforms and read the message. And I find that they're a lot more responsive as well through platforms such as LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, you can also use Facebook Messenger as well. Uh, you can even build a chatbot around that. So mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot of messages out there that you can automate. And using social platforms, I think, is key if you want a bigger response rate. Um, and really, just as we talked about repurposing content, it's good mm -hmm. to use different touch points as well. So not just email, but use LinkedIn, use Facebook. Um, there's multiple ways in which you can get in touch with your audience. And in terms of, um, are you finding, just say you're servicing B2B, would obviously LinkedIn be your best market, clearly. But are they yeah. are you also repurposing and using Facebooks, for example, to market? Or is it just, yeah, let's, for B2B, let's just stick to LinkedIn? It really depends on the client. For a lot of clients, uh -huh. I do actually use Facebook. I find it quite effective. For myself, mm -hmm. personally, I just tend to stick to LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I find that... Facebook is really good at generating leads, but when you look at the mm. quality of the leads and you look at, you know, which leads actually converted into customers and then which ones have remained loyal customers over the years, mm. you find that majority do actually come from LinkedIn um, okay. because people, mm -hmm. when you speak to people on LinkedIn, it's very much a professional relationship and communication and they almost expect, you know, to have those conversations on LinkedIn, whereas Facebook can... Um, I suppose people can get distracted on Facebook and it, it yeah, it's, it's, it's really good for lead gen, but probably yeah. not. Yeah, uh -huh. definitely a different target audience. So it really depends on what industry we're servicing. I mean, we have some clients in the real estate space or property industries, uh -huh. um, and they have software in those spaces and we find mm -hmm. Facebook is absolutely brilliant for them. Um, but then we have, you know, other clients that do workforce management as an example, and we found mm -hmm. that Facebook didn't, you know, was not very good for them. So it's really mm -hmm. just about experimenting with different channels and finding where you have the best results. And I think being able to track and measure, you know, from 
the blog that you put up down to who has actually converted, what have they read, where did they read it, and just knowing exactly what bits of content but also which channels have performed best for you. Mm -hmm. um, you can then just become really hyper-focused on those uh, effective channels. It's still advisable to try and put your content across all platforms just so you can track and monitor it. Yeah, I wouldn't say all just because there's like hundreds out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had one client recently that said, uh, yep, we need to be on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube. And I just went, hang on, <laughs> let's just start with three for now. Um, and yeah, I, th I think definitely don't be on all of them. Just pick the two or three that you know your target market's definitely there. And you can definitely repurpose content through all of them. But I do recommend having one primary one that you're focused on. And, you know, if you're advertising as well and spending media budgets, mm -hmm. um, that's really when you need to be tracking and measuring which one is the most effective. So okay one primary one and maybe two or three secondary is my recommendation okay okay get it just on that you mentioned something about advertising there so in terms of advertising is that a different conversation or do we look to advertise the content channels that we're pushing out or we're we just pushing product what are uh, your recommendations there within terms of advertising on these networks yeah um my strategy usually with advertising is, you know, if you're on a platform like LinkedIn or Facebook, definitely sponsoring some of the content that you've written um, mm -hmm. and then try and get people to a landing page where maybe you can capture an email address, get them to download an ebook just so you can continue nurturing them. Um, okay. And that's really advertising in the top to middle of the funnel. So those people are not ready to buy just yet, but you have identified them as, you know, being qualified uh, potential customers. So really just mm -hmm. making sure that they're reading your content is key with that one. Okay. And then with advertising so at the bottom of funnel, you can use something like Google AdWords um, because you know those people are ready to buy. They're searching for those keywords specifically. So you can definitely, those are, I suppose, what we call the quick wins. Um, they're mm -hmm. ready to buy, possibly qualified. So advertising on Google just helps you reach them. However, we know that with Google, you're very limited by the number of people that search, and hence yes. you need to expand into platforms such as Facebook and LinkedIn to capture mm -hmm. the ones that possibly need your services but um, have just not been made aware of you as yet. Okay, so the, the content strategy is more for the awareness. So you talked about at the top, that's the awareness section. Um, and then even marketing and advertising, a little bit of that is more for the people that are, you're trying to grab, build some awareness around. And then a Google's search for, I want X, I need a, I need a platform that's going to help me do Y. That's they're basically just looking to buy right now, which is more competitive as well. But um, yeah. yeah, so where in terms of the content whole strategy, the whole purpose behind that and premise from our understanding is uh, to build your brand in that awareness phase so when people are ready to buy, they remember you. Um, and I think um, that's that's the whole premise of what I get out of it and understand out of it, but love to hear your take on it. Yeah, we see it as a way to become the expert in the area and mm -hmm. remind, be top of mind. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think with advertising as well, keep in mind, if you're a startup and you start putting out content and mm. you, you don't have, you know, a, a big network of people that follow you on LinkedIn or Facebook, yes. um, it really helps to put advertising behind that bit of content so that, uh-huh. um, you know, your, your content writing efforts are not wasted. You make sure that all the right people see it and you know, the reach that you get is highly targeted to exactly the people that you want. And, you know, with advertising, you can choose exactly who sees that message. So mm-hmm. um, it's a really good way to grow and scale. And you definitely don't need a large budget to get started. Uh-huh. What sort of budget would you recommend someone that's starting out to really put aside for a monthly spend on advertising just to build some awareness around what they're doing and what they're putting together yeah. from a content and even product perspective? Yeah, I recommend $1,000 a month. Okay. What does yeah. $1,000 a month get you in terms of advertising on average, really? Um, okay, I'll... I'll give you exact statistics from uh, my last webinar campaign that I ran. So um, what I ended up for $1,000 a month just through LinkedIn, and I was Mm -hmm. using um, in-mail, sponsored in-mails, as well as uh, sponsored posts that were driving people to a landing page where they can register for a webinar. Mm -hmm. Um, That webinar ended up receiving uh, 85 contacts, um, uh-huh. which are now sitting in my HubSpot platform that we can nurture yes. and mm-hmm. invite to all future webinars that we host. Um, usually with webinars, we find that there's a 50% attendance rate. So we ended up getting okay. 30 people show up on the day. Um, and then so far we've spoken, I had, you know, sales qualified conversations with three of them. So for $1,000, uh, I think that's been really good results. Yeah, so it's three leads. And I think most people can expect to have the same type of results so long as, you know, Mm -hmm. you're inviting them to something that's of value to them rather Mm -hmm. than trying to sell to them. So if you're Mm -hmm. inviting them to a webinar, um, you can definitely expect really good results. And then obviously the key after the webinar is just to continue nurturing them and having Mm -hmm. conversations that are valuable to them. And that's that whole through HubSpot nurturing. Um, now, in terms of the way you nurture um, your people that now you've got 85 people in HubSpot, what actions do you take? Do you funnel them up through just a generic funnel? Do you manage them in a way where if they like something, they go into a different route? How do you approach that end of or that top end really? Yeah. I mean, what we could do is segment them by industry. So they each get a different type of marketing funnel that they are exposed to. Um, And really the the first few emails are all about just sharing more content that we've done with them. So we say, thank Mm -hmm. you for attending the webinar. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We thought you might also enjoy, you know, the webinar that we did a while back or the ebook that we've written on this topic specific to your industry um, or your job role. So it's really just about segmenting them and then figuring out what bits of content do we already have that we can share with them that we know will add value to their day. Um, And then as we see that they're opening up these emails, perhaps clicking on some of the links as well, Mm -hmm. um, you can then... uh, push them down to the bottom of the funnel and offer them something like, you know, a free strategy call or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're in the SaaS industry, this is really where you want to offer your free demo. Yes, free demo, free. That's really when you want to start explaining, yeah, the features of your your software and what it can do and how it can help you. 
Mm, okay, so that's when you get into when they're starting to engage uh, with your brand and your content a little bit more. Then you might start pushing or sharing your product and there's value and benefit to them rather than yeah, right from the no year. hard sell upfront. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like people see that yeah. I see on LinkedIn and other social networks, they say you wouldn't ask someone to marry them the first time you meet them. <laughs> that's a really funny example i used that in my last marketing automation event i said um <laughs> it was actually around collecting data because when uh-huh. some companies when they try and give you an ebook they'll take you to a landing page and the form has about you know seven questions on it and instantly the customer is put off by filling out this form they don't want the ebook anymore um so my suggestion is think of it like dating you know if you go on your first date you're not going to start asking this person you know what's your mother's maiden name and um you know what's your date of birth just questions like that that, you know (laughs) exactly yes can't be too pushy no, I think yeah, I think and I shared a post that actually a conversation. I think that's from podcast with Stuart. Stuart, yeah, it was um, the other day where um, through the podcast he talked about the exact same thing um, in terms of there has to be some value given, and if you ask people um, fifteen, twenty different questions before you give them some value, they're probably going to. It's a massive barrier to entry. So yeah, just be mm. open to the fact of um, if you're giving away some value, an email is more than sufficient um, for them to give away. Um, yeah, so I think that's an important point, really. Yeah, and just trust the process, really. Trust that they will, um, you know, remember your brand, remember mm-hmm. the bit of content that they consumed from you, and yes. um, really just be patient because, in my experience, um, a lot of them, you know, maybe they haven't um, responded to some of the emails straight after the webinar but they, a lot of them have actually ended up calling me two or three months later and saying mm-hmm. oh I, you know I watched your webinar or I attended your event and um, it just turns out that now I have a project that I need to work on so I thought mm-hmm. of you. Mm. Yeah I think we did we and that's the awareness phase. Not everyone's ready to buy, clearly. I think it's on average, it's 3% yeah. of people um, that are ready to buy your service from what I've read. Um, the rest are all more awareness, education phase. So they might see a webinar. They might perk some interest in that because they've thought about for in your world, oh, we need to do some additional marketing but and maybe build some content funnels, etc. But in reality, I mean, just not ready for that right now. Um, and yeah, like you said, that might come back to you in two or three months. So I think trust the process is a really good point yeah. there. Yeah. The timing needs to be right. Yeah. And that's Correct. the whole point of that marketing strategy is to be top of mind. So when it is right, you're remembered. Mm. Exactly. And if you consider the B2B industry as well, and the reason why it takes anywhere between six to 24 months is more than likely these companies already have contracts with an existing supplier at which they need to kind of have finished. And only then can they invite, you know, other vendors to come and pitch for the job or um, so it's really a lot of internal issues and processes that you can't control. Um, Even if they, they love you and they want to work with you, that stands in the way. So yeah, just trust the process and be patient and keep doing content. It will definitely pay off. Yeah. So I think a key takeaway from today's conversation is um, write content. First and foremost, understand your niche um, clearly because otherwise you're writing content that's not servicing the right people um, and continue to produce that content. What sort of... um, you mentioned um, a few different things about repurposing. How have you? What have you found has mm-hmm. been the 
best way to repurpose content. So you're obviously doing webinars, um, which is audio visual content. Um, what, from that perspective, are you repurposing those through to blogs as well? Is that generally where you start? Yeah, absolutely. So with the webinars, um, I can transcribe them and turn them into yep. mini blogs. But what mm -hmm. I've found most effective is yeah, I'll take um, a one hour webinar and uh -huh. I'll take key points from it, like no more than two to three minute talking points. And I'll mm -hmm. actually repurpose it as just content for my LinkedIn posting. Um, which has created a lot of conversations, actually. It's um, created a lot of conversations around appearing on other webinars and guest yes. starring on podcasts uh -huh. um, because people can see that, um, you know, I'm sharing lots of that type of content. So, mm. and something we, we definitely recommend, one of the services that we offer to clients is webinar marketing. So something we promise to do for them is, you know, once you're done with your one hour, we turn that one hour into say seven or eight, two to three minute snippets that you can then repurpose on your social platforms mm -hmm. and then use those to invite them to a landing page where they can download the entire webinar if they wish to or yes. any kind of further assets that they might be interested in. Yeah, interesting. And it's just a smart way to just continue to repurpose. So, um, and yes, you've been invited on this podcast <laughs> due to content sharing <laughs> and um, network um, and working on LinkedIn. So it's interesting the way it all goes around. And I think the more, what I've noticed is the more you actually do share, the more people are communicating and wanting you to share. So that's one thing I have noticed. So if you're going to be writing and publicizing different types of content, um, expect that people will approach you. I was on a podcast myself the other day, which was um, with Singularity U Australia, just um, sharing a little bit about uh, my particular story. So it's interesting when you start sharing more and engaging with people mm -hmm. more in a sharing mindset and a, even a collaborative mindset. So a webinar um, could be a way that you could not just pitch and sell your product, but maybe do panel type stuff. I'm not sure how you approach it where you might bring in different people and different um, aspects and thinking within a webinar as well. So just collaborative content is really a, a nice place to um, to build content as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just on that, every webinar that I've done, I've had a guest on it. I, mm -hmm. I can't stand the thought of just me talking on a <laughs> webinar. I, I love yeah. having guests and, you know, uh -huh. other people that I can see the experts in their field to appear. Yes. You mentioned mm -hmm. Stuart Marshall. He was actually on yes. my very first webinar. Um, uh -huh. And it was the webinar was about selling SaaS. So I yes. approached it from a marketing point of view. And I thought mm -hmm. it'd be really good to have a software expert on this mm -hmm. webinar just to talk about, you know, the other side of things, the technical mm -hmm side of things and mm -hmm. there was quite a lot of insights that came from him on that um just while we're talking about repurposing as well i mean uh, you know as you know a lot of people they have very short attention spans in this day and age so sharing a massive one hour webinar with them um very likely they probably won't want to watch it but if you share little tiny snippets of content they will watch it mm. um so really doing a one hour webinar actually gives you content for an entire month um to reuse and repurpose and then it helps you get onto the other platforms correct it does and just expand your content more out and i think people don't realize until they start doing this sort of long long form content what you can actually do mm -hmm. great example and i think you said yeah like a month and a month might be six, seven, eight snippets that come out of that, one a week, two a week, and all of a sudden yeah. you're posting out educational content to your target market um, that will add value and continue to build that awareness around your brand. So, um, yeah, very good point on the long-form content.
Thank you. So clearly it's you're a content uh, market. It's all about content for you. Um, we've mentioned get to know step one, understand your niche, understand your customers, look at some um, buyer personas, make sure uh, you're clear on who your users are, who your potential clients are, what social media platforms they might be engaging with. If that's like, for example, B2B, uh, LinkedIn is clearly an area. If you're B2C, Facebook might be an area for you or Instagram. Um, it really depends on the type of product that you're selling and who your customers are. From there, you've talked about um, building long-form content um, and different types of content. So everyone's different. I think that's an important point here. Um, I like to um, watch video and listen to content. So, but I'd say um, a lot of people out there uh, also like to read and so taking different forms of content and producing different medium is important as well yeah, um, I prefer and then build, to read the stuff yeah I think you're more of a reader so yeah that's we're all very different so the other thing would then go into um, a little bit about marketing uh, funnels so once I get someone into a, um, a downloading an ebook, for example, or a webinar and they provide an email um, how do I strategize that so is it still focused? You mentioned it's focusing still on education. Like no one wants to get an email every five minutes from a company, but how how many is no. too many? What's some what's some stats and some <laughs> averages people can focus on if they're going to build an email marketing funnel and the value they should be adding through that process? Yeah, absolutely. So bang on, it still needs to be educational. You still need mm -hmm. to be adding value and just yes. trust the process because if they see you as a thought leader or a key person of influence in your industry mm -hmm. as a result of this content, they will yes. reach out to you. And, and that's what we call inbound marketing. You don't have to yes. sell. You just have to um, share knowledge and expertise on topics that they're interested in. Um, in terms of uh, frequency, I normally recommend um, weekly for the first four weeks and then turning that into fortnightly to monthly. And okay. monthly could be just your monthly newsletter where you talk mm -hmm. about, you know, company culture, you know, yes. new um, products that might be coming out, um, mm -hmm. something that's trending in the space as well. But what I also recommend is don't just focus on promoting the company or the brand um, because people people are social beings and they love connecting with other people. They don't want to connect with a brand. They want to connect with a person. So if you mm. have someone in your industry or in your company that can be that face of the company, um, mm -hmm. get them to connect with them on LinkedIn and just reach out with, you know, personalized messages and personalized content and you'll get a much higher result. I mean, we mm. it, that's exactly what we did for Lenovo. We got the sales okay. teams to be the authors of these articles and then personally mm -hmm. reach out. Um, mm. Myself as well, I don't do too much um, social posting from Hat Media. I actually do everything from Joanna. So yes. really just having that person in the company that can be the key person um, that people can, you know, respond to and resonate with and have a relationship mm -hmm. with, that's what really helps. Now, in that on that context there, within your, I think within your email component um, of, of read a little bit about creating more personalized email campaigns. How do you approach your email campaigns? You mentioned newsletters there, but if I'm educating um, customers on that journey, do we keep it more like a blog post? What do we do within our emails? Or yep. So do? firstly, before you go and create content for your emails, um, 
the most important thing you need to do is segment your databases and try and find um, key uh, key fields that uh, you can segment. So do you segment by job title? Do you segment by industry? Really depends on what kind of content you already have. And then really, if you've written a new blog, then sending that out to them via email is great or, you know, mm -hmm. getting them to subscribe to your newsletters or blogs as well if they haven't already done so. Um, okay. If you're in the SaaS space as well, um, it really helps to, yeah, educational content around, um, you know, what are their biggest pain points. Um, mm -hmm. Also, one thing I, I talk about a lot is uh, creating a marketing automation workflow for existing customers because everybody focuses on the leads and trying to convert them. And for them, it's really just sharing more and more educational content. But when it comes to your customers, you can kind of be a little bit more promotional there because they've already mm -hmm. purchased from you and they've already um, experienced your software. So if you can connect um, the way they behave within your software and you can segment that, it's really then really easy to upsell them or cross-sell them on extra features that you see they might need. Um, mm -hmm. But also sending out emails um, to them about, you know, if you refer us to other customers, you've had a good experience, um, you know, we can help you. We can definitely give you some incentive for that. Um, and it's really a lot of clients don't really focus on email marketing for their existing customers. They focus on it for their leads. Um, so we definitely do a strategy around both, both your leads and your customers. And you end up getting quite a few quick wins from your customers because they already love you. Um, and they really just, you know, need to be made aware of the extra features that they could use or the fact that they can tell their friends about it. I think that's a really good point. Um, and yeah, like you said, when we look at marketing, we look at generally focusing on our leads, but are we marketing to our current customers? And um, yeah, if you do have a customer base there, they're, uh, they're on tap of water and it is always easier to sell to your current customers um, because they know who you are, they trust you, you've added value in the past and you don't have to go through that awareness of brand and education and can I trust this person or business um, that are, if you're doing a good job, that already exists. Yep, exactly. So, Joanne, is there anything else you'd like to add around marketing? Um, I think we've covered quite a bit here today in terms of what content marketing is, um, how to approach it, how to structure. Is there anything other points that people should know? I think, yeah, I think we've covered all the main points. I mean, um, if I could just summarize some of the some of the things, like with niching, a lot of people are scared that they're going to miss out on all these opportunities. But really, niching is what helps you scale. And if just consider some of the top tech companies of today started out with a niche. So PayPal, as you know, started out with eBay users and Amazon started out with books and Facebook started out with Ivy League colleges. So don't be scared to niche. Also, once you have, just focus on making your message very customer-centric, focus on internal pain points, um, focus on solving their pain points as opposed to, you know, what features do you have? And then mm -hmm. obviously just sharing more and more content and learning more about, you know, the type of content that they'd like to consume and how they can consume it, saving yourself a lot of time by repurposing your content. Um Yes. And yeah, don't forget your existing customers. That's really some massive quick wins um, that are really good opportunities there that a lot of companies uh, don't focus on. 
Perfect, Joanna. I think that sums up the conversation today. So I really appreciate you um, joining us on the Dev Ready podcast, um, just helping um, people here that are non-techs, building tech, but need to understand marketing and how they can potentially market their products out to the marketplace. Something and, that's critical right now, hopefully, for a few businesses out there. Yeah, so it is. We are all um, we are recording this through um, lockdown, through um, obviously the coronavirus spreads, and it's a challenging time for everyone out there. It's been a shift in thinking. We're all working. Well, most of us are working from home. Some of us, unfortunately, aren't working at all. So it is a, a challenging time, but it's also a, could be a great time for people to reset, rethink, and rejig, and maybe work on things on uh, what are my niche, what is my niche, um, what are my buyer personas, and maybe starting to build a strategy or even rethinking your strategy around marketing. A lot of people now are on the web more, they are communicating more through technology. Um, I'm finding a lot more people are on LinkedIn. So um, if you are, if that is your target market, I think, um, yeah, it's a good time to actually reset and rethink about it as well. Yeah, just on that, actually, I recently put up a post on LinkedIn because of the COVID-19 situation. uh, Something we've noticed is um, if you look at the term webinars in Google Uh Trends, um, I mean, just in the last 24 hours, they've had over 10,000 searches for the word webinars. And if you look at Google Trends, Back in December or even January of this year, uh, it had a score of five out of 100, which is extremely low, which means it wasn't a very popular search at all. Whereas if you look at it right now, uh, it's Mm -hmm. 100 out of 100, which is the maximum you could possibly have. That's a bit of a change. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been saying like now is the perfect time to do webinars. Um, And one Mm -hmm. thing I, I mentioned as well is just my experience. I've just been, we've been doing quite a few webinars for ourselves and mm-hmm. for clients. And I've noticed yes. that the attendance rate is a lot higher when you do them at nighttime, um, like 7.30, mm-hmm. 8 o'clock, slightly after mm-hmm. dinner. And I think the reason for that is during the day, a lot of people are having to homeschool their children right now. So um, <laughs> yes. it's definitely challenging finding that time to watch mm. a webinar. Whereas at night, you know, they're very much happy to escape into their computer and consume content. So if you're thinking about webinars and, you know, COVID-19 has made you postpone it, definitely rethink that strategy. Definitely Mm -hmm. try and do a webinar nonetheless and uh, do it at nighttime would be my suggestion. Oh, perfect. Uh, Thanks, Joanna. Um, In terms of just one more question on webinars, how engaging do you find uh, people within a webinar are? Do you find you get questions or just a conversation generally? How do you, are they engaging from that perspective? Absolutely. If you consider ebook versus webinar, with ebooks, you have no idea how much the person has actually read or even if Mm. they've read it at all. And we've sometimes called people after ebook downloads Uh and they've gone, oh, well, sorry, I haven't actually read it yet. Whereas Uh with webinars, you know exactly who's attended, you know all of the content that they've consumed. But also if you're using a feature like Zoom, you have um, really cool features. features that you can use such as polls and Q&A and chat box so as long as you um utilizing those features you can see exactly who's engaging with Mm. them um and I find that they do make webinars a lot more interactive and engaging so definitely run a webinar if it's your first time have a look at some webinars from you know from zoom themselves or from on 24 or webex or whoever you want to use because they Mm -hmm. do a really good job at showing you how to use some of those features 
and it certainly helps you be more engaged with your audience. So you're not just talking at them through a screen. You're actually, mm. you know, answering some of their questions as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you want it to be engaging. So I think that's some good tips to wrap up there. So, Joanna Inch, uh, thank you for joining us. I think that's um, been quite insightful. Some people that are looking to build some uh, content and a marketing strategy behind their technology, SaaS business, whatever it might be. So um, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your your learnings over the past uh, what 15 years within marketing and um, <laughs> what you're doing currently in the space. And it's always an evolving space. So I imagine you're always learning. Absolutely. Um, as to what works and what doesn't. So if anyone wants to reach out to you, um, Joanna Inch will share, obviously, the podcast via um, LinkedIn. So we'll share out her details via there. Hat Media is just hatmedia.com.au. Um, is that correct? Yeah, yeah that's right. And um, But also, uh, best way is just to find me on LinkedIn and say hello. Yep. Easy. And we'll mention you in the comments once it goes out. Yep. Uh, thank you. And um, have a – this is being recorded on uh, – Good Friday. So have a, a quiet little Easter <laughs> and um, hopefully enjoy uh, you, your two you and five-year-old running around. I'm sure we have a lot of fun in the backyard <laughs> at least. <laughs> yeah, stay safe as well. Yeah. Thank well. you. Thank you.